What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One. Co-host, also Mike, in a moment. Both of us donning our long-awaited Easter bunny ears as we dive headfirst into the first episode of what is our first off-season, Oscar's off-season uh, miniseries. We are leading up to The Northman by Robert Eggers, and we are lovingly calling this series Easter Eggers, Michael. Yeah, Robert Eggers is making a movie called The Northman in between the two Orthodox Easters. And, uh-huh. of course, he's got religious symbolism, especially uh, revolving sure. around uh, Christianity, I, I would say. I didn't catch I'm, any in this movie. I, I'm, go- I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, <laughs> and I'll make a stretch. I'll make a stretch for yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, uh, I think there's multiple head uh, dresses you can wear. You can wear... You know, goat horns. You can wear devil rabbit ears. Yep. Or you could, you know, just uh, pretend that uh, the rabbit is part of, uh, you know, the story of Christ. I almost did too many segment sections where I wanted to fold in the Monty Python and the Holy Grail evil rabbit thing. (laughs) But I I ended up staying astray from all of those instead. I I appreciate that you're a simple man and you have... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like you're getting a Rorschach test with right. every image in your yeah. brain. Like rabbits equals Monty Python white rabbit. Do I have that segment of that movie on YouTube up on my browser right now? Yes. Have I for the last two days? Yes, but I'm not going to use it. All because rabbits equal Correct. that That's rabbit. Right. Always for you. Yeah. Naturally. That's cool. So, so we're talking about Monty Python yeah. and the Holy Grit. No, we're doing uh, the first movie from Robert Eggers. We are talking about the Double V Vitch. It's a movie we've alluded to and kind of talked about around the per- perimeter of in the last couple of years, but I don't think we've ever actually done a full-fledged review of it. Yeah, I'm glad that we're uh, attacking this miniseries today. Robert Eggers has come shown up a lot because Elevated Horror is something we've danced around. We've done other miniseries, with, whether it's Halloween, around the mm-hmm. new uh, Halloween, to Jordan Peele's two-part episodes for Get Out, for us. You know, we've been... We've been huge fans of this genre, Michael, and especially where the genre has gone, but we haven't done the film studies on Edgar's yet, and here we are. All right, so let's get right into it. Let's. Uh, we do have a couple of cleverly named segments that I guess we're going to stick with the Easter, shine more on the Easter tradition, more show than the killer the rabbit The heathen tradition. Easter yeah. tradition that, right. that all of us christians still celebrate somehow because it translates so beautifully from the rebirth of christ to a bunny with candy coated fruit let's let's buy the candy let's introduce the movie let's talk about the rich michael all right so from a24 the roman numeral five five itch was of Mm -hmm. course written and directed by robert edgars hence the miniseries title it stars anya taylor joy ralph innocen kate dickey there's a goat named charlie there's a dance troupe there's a dance troupe that'll factor into play here, and there's a lot of naked old ladies as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, you gotta wonder. Ari Aster saw this movie and was like, "I can do it better. <laughs> I can do it with more naked women on screen." He did. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he did, but he did. <laughs> yeah, he definitely did. Uh, he had his world premiere. The Vich did. I'm gonna call it The Vich. It's just fun to say. Mm-hmm. On January 27th, 2015, that was at Sundance. It ended up winning Eggers the directing award. That would not be the last of the awards that this movie would win Eggers. It ended up making $40.4 million, $25 million uh, domestically, $15 million worldwide. So a $40 million 
dollar rake plus at the box glo- global box office that is after a four million dollar budget for the film Critical reception was 90% on Rotten Tomatoes on 331 reviews, heavily reviewed there, uh, an 83 Metascore on Metacritic, and audiences, well, let's just say the Rotten Tomatoes score was a 59% on 25,000, and the IMDb score was a 6.9 out of 10 on 238k reviews i'm wondering if what andrew morgan said on our last episode mike regarding regina hall's master and imdb's unwillingness to kind of censor their voting uh attributes to this and how it how it connects but i I can't figure it out in my brain right now but if you're not going to get a nine point something on imdb isn't the next number you want a 6.9 anyway isn't that where you want to land with your score Oh, my God. I just noticed that. Yeah. So that's, again, you fixated on something. and Simple man. Made Leonard it Skinner into... made a song about me once. <laughs> it's comedy. Good. All right. The other awards that Eggers did win and this movie did win, Film Independent Spirit wins for Best First Feature and Best First Screenplay. A Gotham Award went to Anya Taylor-Joy. This was kind of... One of, if not her main breakthrough, uh, she did win Best Breakthrough Actor at the Gothams for her role in this. It won Best Horror Film at the Rotten Tomatoes Golden Tomato Awards, at the Fangoria Awards, and at the Empire Awards. And it won a Critics' Choice nom, and anyway, it didn't win, but it was nominated the Critics' Choice for Best Sci-Fi Horror Movie. Yeah, it's awardsy, man. We're an Oscars podcast, but we could talk about The Vich. Totally, based on all of that. So he's only one step away. This was the introduction. This kind of gets him introduced into the award circuit. The next one, The Lighthouse, kind of was nominated more prominently. And then I assume the Northman's just going to sweep all the awards. Might just take it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like the Viking center central character is going to take it all from (laughs) the strongest man in the world. I can't wait. Uh, Plot premise is a family in, in 1630s New England is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic and possession michael i saw this back in 2015 with my youngest brother daniel neither of us loved it at the time i watched it again enjoyed it a little more and now after studying it and listening to a bunch of podcasts and youtube videos and kind of thinking that i cracked the case myself and i'm feeling very confident and cocky right now so cocky just really just you have a lot written down yeah i have so much written down i'm not going to even need to say it all because i think i boiled it down hard-boiled style that'll be a yeah, segment yeah. and now i'm so cocky and i'm just going to be insufferable this entire review but here's the thing like i love it all the more now that i think i figured it out what does that say about me you're an arrogant ass. Uh, <laughs> I, I have not watched this movie all the way through. I think I started it once or twice, and I didn't finish it, and you were reading me the riot act. Oh, I was so mad so. at you. I was so mad at you. Like, why <laughs> Why would you make me... Because especially, like, the first watch of this was not great, and then, like, you made me do a miniseries on this. No, no, no. No, sir. After no, you sir. set me up. No, sir. You came back to me one day, and you said, I thought of Easter Eggers. We have to do it now. <laughs> I did. I did do that. <laughs> yeah, but you you trapped me. You trapped me into reviewing more movies with you. Sight unseen. I figured we'd do these miniseries on movies that we only loved and that we would shower with applause and gush over. But no. And and look, I mean, this one actually worked out because we both loved this movie. No, this is great. Yeah, I absolutely love this movie. This and is, I uh, think I we'll love The Lighthouse. I, I think so. Too. And The Lighthouse is the other one. I have not seen all. The, the Lighthouse is more offensive because we covered uh, that year when it was. And I just right. didn't get around to seeing the entire thing. I saw clips, which I have a tendency to do. But this Again, one. I just, I 
I tried watching this one once upon a time, but life got in the way. Uh, I have not tried to sit through the lighthouse yet. It's heresy. Fall. It's heresy. You are a film heretic. You're well, the exorcist, the 16, too. If this was the 1630s New England, you'd be accusing me of being a witch right now, and I don't appreciate where this is going. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's fill the Easter eggs, Michael. Let's fill the Easter eggs with the big substance of the overall composition, direction, and non-spoiler script thoughts. And yeah, we're, we're not going to spoil this for about 20 minutes until we get into it. So here are the Eggers. Uh, and Wikipedia has some interesting nuggets here, Michael. Look. Robert Eggers was born in New Hampshire. He was inspired to write the film by his childhood fascination with with witches because of frequent visits to the Plymouth Plantation as a schoolboy. Now, did you, because I did, I had to go see the old fogey. Of course. Yeah. It's a staple of living up here. Would you have directed a movie with two V's in the title (laughs) because you went to those stupid field trips? I. It is a little bizarre how that's the exposure. I mean, it's obviously nothing to think about when you are a school-age kid, but the exposure that school-age children have to these historical sites, and it's like, and this is where they crushed the chest of this one guy because they thought he was a witch. Like, yes. oh, this was... And this wasn't like an off-handed event. This was like a government-sanctioned punishment. You have much different memories of... All right, so now I get No, I'm glad I asked the question because your memories of these field trips are much different than mine. I just remember a happy lady who looked like she was in Downton Abbey. Well, that's Abbey what they try to cover butter. it up with. Yeah, I mean, but we all know what's really going on here. Hey, no, i I'm You glad. can't just churn butter in that thing all all day, you know, <laughs> you got to accuse your friends of being witches. Keep it interesting. Keep it light. I think uh, I think it all makes sense now. Uh, look, I think this is very important, and this is going to reverberate throughout the rest of the episode. The end titles. The end titles read, Michael, and they don't spoil anything, but they kind of give you the main clue, in my opinion, to what this movie's really about and what it means. Here's the end title card. This film was inspired by many folktales, fairy tales, and written accounts of historical witchcraft, including journals, diaries, and court records. Much of the dialogue comes directly from these period sources. So Robert Eggers, in every interview around the witch, and I listened to, I re-listened to a bunch of them before uh, this podcast and preparing for it, he cited the fact that primary sources kind of colored this. Uh, this color this entire story. So keep that in mind, folks, please. The irony there, of course, being that Ralph Innocent, who plays William, most of his dialogue sounds like it's being delivered by a weed whacker who just got home from an AVC concert and smoked 14 packs of cigarettes. That man has the <laughs> deepest. He makes Barry White sound like a, a soprano, like a high pitch or an alto, whatever it is, like a high pitched. <laughs> I could not understand some of the dialogue in this. It is so low. Uh, someone should cast him as a tree person. In the future, I think he'll do well as as one of those. Uh, look at, I mean, in in retrospect, this is also a fascinating rewatch here, Michael, because we all just came out of two years of a global pandemic, which uh, oh, I like that connection, yeah, which you know could give us a whole different look. None at of this us know family, how to act, yeah. This family in quarantine, in yeah. isolation. I mean, hopefully it's just a metaphor for all your quarantines, but I'm sure people and families got at each other's throats throughout that period, much like this one. And how many of us have spent quarantine talking to animals? That's true. You know? I, I always said, if uh, <laughs> if you see me talking to my dog, it just shows you that uh, its inspiration is striking me. But if you see... <laughs> 
if you see my dog talking back, yeah, that's uh, much more uh, that this insanity is striking me. Try to not go on a killing spree in the middle of New York City in the summer of July '77. Sure, correct. That's when you worry. All right, Uh, we're gonna juxtapose production values in front of the uh, performances, Michael, because it works better with our egg hunt metaphor. So we're going to paint the eggs now. Production values paints the canvas. Yeah, what was, so, what was so pretty and what was so nice to look at once you're done painting the egg and this kind of Fabergé adjacent thing is sitting yes. on your table that you can't eat. You can't eat the Fabergé eggs, although I agree. They look delicious, delectable. Mm-hmm. Cinematographer Yaren Blatchke, he'll be... What a job. Oscar nominated for the Lighthouse. He will be the uh, the DP of the Northmen, so he's Great. been working with Eggers all along. And this is fascinating to give the film an authentic look. Eggers only shot with natural light, uh, and when indoors, the only lighting was candles. Did he shoot this in the Northeast? Did you see? I didn't look this up. But shot I'm it in Canada. Canada. Okay. And I wonder if, uh, the northeast, like uh, the northeast part of Canada, attached to the northeast of America, I, sh- yeah. I should say. And they went to film festivals in, you know, Maine and New Hampshire, yeah. a couple of them that I did last year right. virtually. And a lot of the people there were giving them shit that there were not enough oak trees. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was going to say it felt like home because it was so dreary and depressing and gray and overcast and sad. It's close. <laughs> it looks kind of like, like where we were at. Yeah. yeah, it's something It's something that people on the West Coast may think is like mood setting, but people from the Northeast from where we're from are just like, oh, that's home. <laughs> he wanted taller trees, which is fascinating because he looked forever for the location. Mm. And ultimately, what cost some of the most money in terms of the production budget was the fact that they all had to like move to a very remote location into in the middle of the woods. And they basically had to camp out there and take the whole crew camping out there huh. because they couldn't find an untouched piece of land that was big enough where the trees were large enough, etc. Nah, I got plenty of spots in Connecticut. He needs to talk to me. <laughs> uh, this The cinematography in this is wonderful, and it is simplistic, but, I mean, between how everything is naturally lit, and it does give it that dreary overcast feel, because it is dreary and overcast most of the movie when they are outside, on top of uh, some of the camera positioning and camera shots and close-ups and how it's used, this is uh, wonderful to look at. I mean, there's there's some shots that are just spooky and eerie just because of how they're lit. I totally agree. And some of the horrors by what's not seen mm-hmm. in many cases. Yeah. And your, your brain. Or the goes look on wild. someone's face while they're reacting to what's. Yeah. So the cinematography is playing with your mind in that way. And a lot of this is due to the meticulous storyboarding that uh, Eggers and Blatchkey combined for because they didn't have enough money to shoot a lot of coverage, which is what they both admitted to in an IndieWire interview, which just shows you how direct or or shows you how purposeful and deliberate everything was. I mean, what's this movie? 93 minutes of runtime? Something like that? 94 minutes? And it's an exceptional, fully fleshed out story. You don't need to be overbloated. And it's an award caliber film and it looks great and it sounds, you know, like, uh, I don't know, somebody set fire to a dumpster sometimes because of the dialogue, (laughs) but it's really well done. It's uh, a debut, which is shocking and which is why he won so many best first features that year, including the indie spirit, like you said. Uh, Production design. Mary Kirkland did the sets. Derek Connell and Andrea Kristoff were the art directors. And 
They constructed a set as historically accurate as possible. Robert Eggers has a background in production design. He was a production designer for like 10 years in Hollywood before he became uh, a director. And it was fascinating to hear him talk about how kind of the, the first scene right the first scene has a, a lot of people in it because mm-hmm. it's going from the town to the remote setting and he told us he basically said that he all of that stuff was like fake and paper and like i, I just picture the kids suit in jojo rabbit but like the paper <laughs> german suits at the end like they gave us they, they gave us these new suits that aren't they great and it's just made of cardboard paper construction paper and that's what he basically did just to get by and then they actually spent a lot of money on the few costumes a lot of money on the one setting for the whole movie Makes sense. I mean, there there's not a lot of ancillary background characters in this, and when we do get to a scene where there are more background characters, none of them are wearing anything. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> so yeah, again, they saved money where they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the, but they they hired like a Thatcher and a carpenter from M- Virginia and Massachusetts. I was ready to make fun of him. Yeah, I was ready to make fun of him and be like, "How do you know? What does that mean that he hired people who are familiar with the architecture of that? Like, they could have just lied to him. How would he know? But I guess if he has the background in production design, then yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. He would probably come across them." Yeah, they basically took the people from Sturbridge Village on our stupid right. field trips right. and built those freaking places and hired them to construct the one the jackass that's been weaving that cotton on that fucking, what was that thing? That was a big part of the field trip, I remember. You had that thing where you yeah. had to weave the cotton in and out of the, I can't remember what the word is. That's right. I blocked God, I it hated out. that stuff. I hated it too. I hated every <laughs> single field trip to this stupid, we had to do it twice. I remember we had to do it mm-hmm. twice. I remember I wanted to go, be sick that day, but I think my mom made me go because she wanted to be a, uh, I think she chaperone. was a chaperone. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. What a crock. I should have at least listened to the witchery, and then therefore I would have been. Maybe they knew because we were a Christian school. Give us the other side of it, though. Like, if you're going to make us do that, something so <laughs> far from the past, and like have us have a field trip to a sports bar too. You know, like even it out. Good, I agree. But I bet you the night before they're like, "Hey, all the Christian schools are coming tomorrow, so let's not do all the witch trials." Yeah, stuff. if we can hold back on the paganism. The paganism, uh, yeah. no paganism today. As they're you know, smoking doobies the night before, all these actors uh-huh. <laughs> to live there. That's probably how it went. Uh, the score and the sound. I didn't. I don't have any nuggets on this, but this is very jarring. They only used like bizarre instruments because he wanted nothing melodic in the score. I know that much. So it's like everything freaked me the hell out, and I almost felt. Like, I wanted nobody to overhear this. I almost put it on to a lower volume in my house because I wanted nobody to overhear it because I think it would just mess with people. And the score does get pretty loud, too, as well. I mean, there's it's it's it is typically horror driven. I mean, there are those sharp notes, those high notes, and it sounds like somebody's banging on a violin over and over and over again in certain parts. But it, it does its job. It's very eerie. I agree. All right. Well, let's hide the eggs now. Uh, we're about to go on the hunt and spoilers, but before that, let's review the performances. Let's hide the eggs. Let's hide all the goods uh, and have some fun talking about these three principal performances in particular. Anya Taylor-Joy is Thomason. She's only 19 at the time of this, maybe 18 when she's filming it. And my main takeaway is that she's already a star, Mike. Yep. She's very, very good. <laughs> She Joy- is quite the actress. I mean, she's joyful and nurturing and loving in some scenes. She's hateful and suspicious and furious. My Furiosa-ish, 
if you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see apologize, what you did. but you it's coming out. Uh, <laughs> all the range in the world. Yeah. As this young of an actress, my God. Yeah, uh, I it's juxtaposed too, and it makes the uh, the Caleb character stick out, who I did not think was as good or right. at least as polished. But it's not fair because Anya Taylor Joy shouldn't be as good as she is at that age. That's true. It's not fair to Caleb, but Caleb was. <laughs> Not Harvey good. Scrimshaw is that actor's name. Yeah, I, I had a tough kid. time with his uh, his outburst there. He's kind of playing the cult-eyed, wide-eyed zealot, so I get mm-hmm. that much. He's also got some uh, confused motivations, let's just say. Mm. Uh, so I, I get some of it, but yeah, he struggled. The parents did not struggle. Ralph Innocent is, is William. Kate Dickey is Catherine. They are phenomenal in this. Again, you mentioned how many packs a day he must smoke, but Jesus, they, he wanted English actors. He want he wanted actors. Well, he got the most English actors, either Shakespeare or could handle you know diction like this because this is just, I mean, this is just the uh, sometimes verbatim citations from these old English, old with an e, <laughs> you know, colonial English text. This guy who starts his day every day with a gravel smoothie. Yeah, he's just, I don't know how he does it, but uh, I, I would say that his unblinking performance sometimes to just show you like he's Job, but he's also this, you know, you're, you're terrified of him that he is condemning his family to this fate, but then you feel for him at the same time because he's just trying to survive. Ralph Innocent, he's, he's a low-key MVP of this movie. Yeah, and it's it juxtaposed again because he has a lot of scenes going against Kate Dickey, who's just losing it for the majority of this movie. Like from from scene one, she's a bundle of nerves and worry, and then I mean something finally happens and she snaps, and then and she's yet, all over the place. And yet she kind of has his story pegged from the beginning, so it's it's ironic that that you show the quintessential woman who's supposed to be crazy, mm-hmm. right? That trope, and, and even from a man's perspective. You know, that trope is, is da- you know, especially from a man's perspective, that trope is dangerous, right? And yet she, he, he essentially validates her perspective with every single plot point. So, you know, watch that and brace for it, for Christ's sake. But yeah, Kate Dick- Dickey, she was awesome in Game of Thrones. Um, she was uh, scary in Prometheus. She's going to be in The Northmen as well. Uh, and uh, she's she's terrific. It's, it's weird to have... Anya Taylor-Joy be like the standout of this and this being the start of her career because it could have been any of those three, I think. I've heard, I think it was Feinberg's uh, interview with her. Mm-hmm. She she really said that those two actors taught her a world of knowledge Makes about the craft it, during this movie in particular. Because again, they kind of all just went away and camped out in the middle of the woods to shoot it. And she learned a lot. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, like I said. But uh, this is... So that's laying the groundwork for what happened. Let's talk about what actually happened, right? You want to try to find these Easter eggs. The Easter egg hunt is the spoiler section. We are such dorks. Here we go. (laughs) Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the Double V Vitch, the first movie from Robert Eggers in this Easter Eggers mini-series as we lead up to The Northman, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We are... Going to be talking about all the spoilers and all the plot that happened in the movie of The Vich that came out in 2015, the Anya Taylor-Joy breakout vehicle. We have a couple cleverly named segments, or or not, but it's, it's it fits with our dad humor. And we're going to talk about hard-boiling these eggs first, and we're going to talk about the nagging questions or complaints, something we can't quite crack about the plot or the story. And Mike, you were very excited because you think you have this 
figured out now. I think I have it cracked. And I I did not go into this movie confident that I knew what the hell it was about. And I thought going in that Robert Eggers, especially after The Lighthouse, for Christ's sake, <laughs> especially after The Lighthouse, that Robert Eggers was like a burning man away from David Lynch, mm. that he was like a couple of acid trips or ayahuasca trips <laughs> away from, you know, just meditating transcendentally upon Elvis hairstyles. Yeah. And whatever... You know, red rooms, he, you know, one might go into and see, you know, devils. But look at, I think this is as self-assured uh, debut, like many critics, as anybody else. So I was kind of torn. I'm like, everything is so deliberate. But you talked about having a burning question that you want to crack. And I, I kind of posed that to myself. I was like, why would he show all these horrors to be so real and take them from all the primary texts, Right. When he knows that they're so very fake. And I was like, again, I was thinking, why would he, you know, why would he do it this way? Interesting. You know, because he's showing the hypocrisy of all these belief systems, right? Right. And and the simple answer is that I just boil it down to, hard, hard boiled it down to here, the fact that he's showing what people actually believed back then. Like, this is the belief system, and that's why it's so effing scary. Because he's isolating the dogma versus the myth. The father is driven by the dogma. The mother is is a prisoner to the husband and the and the family. And the you know, the the myth is running wild, manifested to be true. All of the worst horrific details of what people thought these witches were are are shown to be real the baby's getting kidnapped the 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 animals being you know turned evil mm. and shape-shifted into and the, the the rot of the crops to the you know to the to the fact that your daughters are being you know tempted away in, in the witchery. It can't possibly be bad luck. It has to be blamed on something, and it causes its own hysteria. What if all of this was what true? true? Yeah. What if all of this was true, and here he shows how the dogma breaks down, how, how the hypocrisy overtakes, because it is a society built on lies. It is a society of old, power-hungry white men who ran churches that controlled kingdoms, Right, that schismed, which is why they came over here because there's too many people. It was overpopulated, and to gain power, they conquered other lands hmm. full of other, literally, quote unquote, other religions that they would have to demonize and rationalize their conquering and genocide and colonialism and manifest destiny into these belief systems where they're like, all right, it's in, it's in service of the community and the community is also ultimately subjugated by underneath the church so when you take the family unit away from the community and all those lies are gone because of the father's pride right you and you just listening, yeah, you have their hooked. seven deadly sins and robert eggers talked about the seven deadly sins kind of you know Again, manifesting in these seven characters. You have seven characters. And the YouTubers actually got close to this. And they're like, no, it's not an allegory in a literal way. But hold on. The father is prideful. He talks about his pride. He, he literally is banished from the church in the first scene. And he basically gets in a pissing contest. It is pride. The mother is 
covetous, a greed and covetousness is the second deadly sin. And the mother, all she talks about is England. I wish I was still at England. I wish I want this. I want my cup. Greed. The brother literally lusts after the sister. The baby, all babies are gluttons. They just eat and play and shit and whatever. I we see know no this. problem with that. The daughter is envious. She wishes she were elsewhere, and you can't blame her. But she, she just, she looks at Sodom and Gomorrah as they leave. Right? She's the only one looking at the village as they leave wow. on the and, she, and and then the twins, they're lazy. They don't help with the chores. That sloth. And then they, they they are also wrathful and vengeful. They tattletale on the sister in the worst possible moment to hopefully get the father to kill her and burn her as a witch and turn her over to the witch hunt, witch hungry crowds of zealots in the community. The father's gonna she can, number one. He's gonna, the mother wants to sell the daughter because right. she's too pretty and she's you know entrancing the son. She sees the son looking after her lustfully, but they these. Characters do represent these seven deadly sins. Wow. I like that. That's quite deep. I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I do have questions about what happened. So if, if the twins were to be lazy, though, if they were to be sloth, my understanding was that they were possessed from the outset. They were the actual ones talking to Black Phillip. Yeah, so they're they're being won over by Black Phillip. They're talking to Black Phillip. So again, you're manifesting all these... The, 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 you're manifesting the devil or the demon, whatever, in the goat. <laughs> was Anya Taylor-Joy actually... you? So the, your interpretation of this is that Anya Taylor-Joy actually was a witch the entire time. No, Anya Taylor-Joy is just someone who's vulnerable to the witch. There's an actual witch in the woods, and the and the father... So the, that in witch the who shows up the at the barn is really a witch? Correct. There's an actual witch in the woods. Okay. And and my whole thing was like, why show these horrors to this extent right. and then show them triumph? That was like my biggest burning question. Like he can't actually, you know, because the, the end is just party in the woods. Let's all laugh and be naked and be happy. Like, how can you show like a smash the patriarchy movie in the end? And, and it's like a good thing, but you have to suffer through such literal horrors and innocence die along the way. And that's why I couldn't juxtapose. But here's the, the, the rub. The rub is that it was what they actually believed to be true. And it's a this story is a representation of this body of lies. And these characters, they can't stop lying to one another, Mike. They're like the cast of Friends. Right. You ever watch any episode <laughs> of Friends? All they do is lie through their teeth the whole freaking show. <laughs> Every step of the way. The Rembrandts are playing at the witch's funeral, the thing at the uh, in the woods at the end there. Yeah. There's just one lie after another from this family, and they 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 destruct from within at the you know the whispers of Black Philip, but also from the outside because of these attacks of the witch, which happen essentially because the father is moving into their territory and stealing their land. Jesus, well, you did a hell of a sell job here, Michael. I tried. I thought. I tried. I get. I, like I thought I cracked it. Makes it a lot, so. I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you, if you, especially if you're just off watching this and you think about it. I didn't. I didn't delve that deeply into the thought of it, but you having seen it as many times as you have doing the research, I mean, yeah, I, I, I like what you're going for here. And you know, look at. I mean, it's this ultimately, it's this puritanical belief system that is the loser, right? It's the patriarchy that enslaves women. I mean, and and screws them up so bad 
that uh, they blame women and daughters for their, you know, the sins of the fathers at the end of the day, to the point where, you know, they, they turn on one another and the first person to get the wrath of the parents is the daughter. That's why she is shown triumphant at the end. It's iron. It's it's this irony in this horror story in this weird tale. Well, there where, is pushback to that idea within Anya Taylor Joy's character too, though, because yeah. she's and when she's having the tete a tete with the father, she goes off on him and be like, "Look, you're blaming me for everything. You're you're just a shitty father. You're a shitty farmer. You're a shit. You know." She you calls him on yeah. all his shit, as one of the YouTube video said, which was perfect. I I, I totally agreed. Huh. So, like, this movie breathes literal life into all the phobias of the time, all the manifestations of the rumors of witches, right? So that's why it's so damn scary. And and yet, when the the witches triumphed, you're like, what? Well, you know, that's I, I for like years I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get it, you know, straight in my brain. But Eggers was just showing the irony of it all. Like, that's why it's horrifying. It's not just because it's a horror story. It's because the real horror story is the religion that he wanted to smash. Which, again, I kind of fist bump him for that because I got my own religious baggage. No, I mean, I I think the religious overtones are, you know, there's no escaping them if you're going to sit down and actually digest this movie. But let's keep this going and talk about how many Reese's eggs might be too many Reese's eggs because we'll talk about best and worst and kind of finish, put a bow on the best and worst idea. So mm-hmm. going back to Anya Taylor-Joy's character and her just being susceptible to Black Phillips, that's the, that's the interpretation I got too. She was being accused of being a witch. She wasn't actually a witch. It was the twins who were actually doing the devil's deeds there and talking about Black Phillips. And they were just being honest. Instead of an angel and devil on their shoulder, it was two devils talking to Anya Taylor-Joy when they were saying, hey, maybe you're the witch at that scene in the beginning when they were like down by the shore or whatever. Yeah. But Anya Taylor-Joy is not, evil until the very end right so what happens in the barn the night that the mother loses her fucking mind and has is breastfeeding the crow which was an immaculate setup an immaculate shot what happens is that the witch the witch kills the twins yeah literally what we see happens in the story and it and again it makes sense for anya taylor's joy's character because she just sleeps through it but she saw the witch she is she is the outcast that will become the witch. She's spared, right? And witches in, I guess, their side of the story, the people that were called witches were usually the outcasts. They're outcasts mm-hmm. in their various societies. We've seen this in a lot of the texts from the perspective of people being, you know, called witches, I, mm-hmm. I would say. So I think that's what he's, you know, if he's going to make her the hero, the tragic hero of the story. She she's not tempted into this by the devil and the the goat. She's driven to this by the tragedies of the of the family. But I have a tough time within the kayfabe of the story, if we're actually living through this reality. We know she has seen that witch and is in the barn with the kids, right? And so and by the fallout by the next morning, we know that witch has killed all the goats except for Black Phillip and the presumably the children. Yeah. So what's going on there? She's just sitting there throughout the night, waiting for her parents to come find it? Well, we're in her POV, and she gets knocked out repeatedly. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you want to call her the witch all along, there's... It's just a question. I I mean, I don't think think it is the witch all along. I'm just, I don't, I think that might be just something I want to address, quite frankly. I know it's a nitpick. Any problem I have with this movie in the plot is a nitpick, to be honest. The movie shows her getting knocked out, falling from the horse earlier on. 
The movie shows her going to sleep. The movie puts you in her POV when she's doing playing peekaboo with the baby, right? Yeah, which was another great one of my favorite shots. It 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 puts you in her perspective often. So if you're believing the film, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you have to believe that it's happening to her, not because of her. I would say. I mean, you could you could play the you could play the card that. Uh, you know, she doesn't realize what she's doing all along, but I don't think she doesn't make the deal with the devil literally till the end of the film. Right, right. She doesn't, and she's the one who seeks him out as opposed to vice versa. Right. Um, which, by the way, that is the most seductive voice I've ever heard a goat have that has well, in this movie. Do you know who's, you know, why? Because it's from a male model. Yeah, of uh, course. What was, it, what was his name there? Daniel Malik. I'm looking on INDB. No, hold on. The voice, no, is Wahab Chaudhry. Yeah, he's listed. It's if the name's the man. It's Daniel Malik, but he's listed as Wahab Chaudhry, according to IMDb. Right. How does yeah. how does he have two names? Oh, the character's name is Dan- what? No, Hold the on. man's the man's name. He's just given a different. It's a pseudonym in the credits. Weird. It's I believe it's got to be someone related to no Terrence. Maybe I don't know. Uh, can you imagine? Well, there is there is a lot of nature in this. It would not shock me to see. And there's a lot of influences from other areas, not just like, you know, Northeastern witchcraft and the Salem trials and all that. But, I mean, clearly The Shining is an influence on this movie. Whether you want to talk yeah, about yeah. the old lady hand or the old creepy lady who's naked at the beginning when she's found to have the, actually have the baby and sacrificing the baby. Right. And what is The Shining about, according to almost all of the interpretations right. in one form or another? It's about... You know, the white the taking man of the land from the Native Americans. Yeah, the white man, t- you know, coming to grips with all the, his mm-hmm. horrible sins. Sin. Yeah. So it's about the same thing here. This father is. Coming so he was to trying to tell it. Aggers was trying yeah. to tell it. Yeah, that's a yeah. Huh. And, and, it, and it takes the dogma literally like you have a baby, an innocent that ultimately is stolen. And, and they then they immediately go through the dogma, the father, and he's like, well, babies are born with original sin. And the son is like, well, if I died right now, would I go to hell as well? And the father's like, yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) In a long-winded bullshit old English explanation. That's what what happens. Like, that was one of my favorite scenes. Was the ghost, uh, sorry, the goat, was the goat, Floating through air as it charged with enough momentum to spear the father through the torso that he couldn't possibly hear the goat coming. Uh, yeah, it's almost <laughs> like he he panned through the whole forest and missed the goat. You're right. I don't know how that worked out. Same coming thing. with enough enough force to gore him through his torso. By the way, there's definitely some supernatural going on. Like the the witch has to be flying. or the goat has to be flying because even during the peekaboo game, like you would see, the witch stealing the baby. Yes. And I like I like the questions they left us with, you know, at least in real time. Again, being in kayfabe of the world with the, the grass, that one piece of grass is rustling as Anya Taylor-Joy is looking. So it gives you the sense that something, maybe a wolf did take off with a child. You right. Know, maybe we just missed it. And, I, you know, we're talking about floating witches that came down from the sky. And then at the very end during the orgy scene or whatever, we see Anya Taylor-Joy actually starts to float along with all the other witches. So it's a real thing that, you know, it left us more, more questions answered than not. But it still left you with kind of this puzzle you needed to fit yourself that i think you did a wonderful job with well i i'm relieved because i wasn't sure you'd buy into it and we would debate and then no i i mean i it's not something i had given 
a lot of thought. This reminds me of Hereditary all over again, which I know is one of your prouder moments in life. Uh, but the way you you mm-hmm. you talked about it's not it's just not a theme that crossed my mind. The seven deadly sins did, and I thought you know maybe William is trying to do, going through the process of grieving. He's trying to like he's he's go, going through the steps of grief and like mm-hmm. the the twelve step thing and trying to like come to terms with what's going on. And you know I, he's obviously bartering with God at one point. So I thought maybe there was something to that. But the seven deadly sins thing is I, I think if you think about that enough, that's pretty prevalent. But the whole idea as to the story being relatable to today's political climate, let's say, in terms of your leaders might be lying to you and just feeding you bullshit. Uh, yeah. Quite quite a pro- apropos. And he was making this movie during that specific campaign in mm-hmm. 2015, Mike. So he was, he, he was talking about lies, and he was talking about the bed of lies of this society of... Uh, you know the the what would amount to the Salem witch trials of the day. So he was he was speaking directly towards that and giving us. <laughs> he was just giving us a. He's like, all right, all right. Here's here's what it would look like if all this shit was alive and real. And 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 this is why this, <laughs> this is why witches would exist at that time period, which is they're horrifying, absolutely horrifying. Uh, to the point where you you know the mother's trying to kill her daughter in a terrifying scene. The father's locking the kids up, you know, to be there's a there's a witch loose in the woods. He's locking them up outside. And your your wife is accusing your daughter of being the witch. Clearly, something happened to your son Caleb where he was poisoned by a witch, and you're gonna lock your two kids with, with the, the witch. With yeah. the witch, yeah. <laughs> they're they're accusing one another of being a witch. Well, the last one left alive, I'll know, is the witch. <laughs> he he leaves them to be sacrificed. Right. Jesus. Oh, man, I mean, to be fair, maybe they had no idea what he was doing because he told them explicitly. But the way he sounds is as if a car tire was going through a, a field of cinnamon <laughs> toast crunch. <laughs> He's got a low voice. <laughs> A very low voice. Michael, let's move on to hand-painted. We'll discuss some more best scenes, and we'll begin with hand-painted because this is about our favorite shots or camera movements slash placements. What do we think is the most beautiful scene uh, shot like a hand-painted pastel don't say, Easter yeah, egg? Don't say beautiful because my answer is the breastfeeding of the crow. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Good, good. good. That was the most jarring yes. shot ever. Yes. It was disgustingly beautiful. But it was so well set up. You knew, like, you, Catherine's losing her mind the entire movie, and you know this is the p- moment where she breaks, and Caleb's just totally cool and handling a baby who's, they're both alive, even though we've seen them both die right in front of us, and we know she, this is her fucking come to Jesus moment, and she's totally gone. And that set up shot where it, finally we see what's actually going on, and the witch is in the barn, and then we go back to Catherine, and the crow's biting at her breast. And then to reaffirm that it's real in the very next scene, we yeah. see William waking up and the camera is set up. So William goes over Catherine. He assumes she's sleeping. We see she's wide awake and his arm is casting a shadow right on her, over her where her breast is. And we can't tell if there's any mark there. And we have to wait for his that shadow to move to see that the, the blood has bled through her undergarment there to see that it was all real. And now William is in very, very deep danger because he's dealing with a real witch that's on the premises still most likely oh my god i love those two back to back robin uh robin aaron breastfeeds at the uh 
at the teat of Lysa Aaron in Game of Thrones. And of course, it's the same actress. <laughs> you, same have to. you just have to, don't you? You have to ruin this for me. <laughs> no, it's just, why is she no, always in these, you know, these, uh, these disgusting scenes involving breastfeeding? But I, guess. I wonder how they pulled that off. I mean, it looked like an actual crow and it looked like the actress was sitting there. Yeah, she's got pads on. The thing was, I mean, or it was just a really lifelike dummy too. I, mean, I, I would love to know what the answer to that is because it looked practical. Is my point? It was practical. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, the peekaboo scene was was striking. That was my second striking. favorite. Yep. Uh, her twirling around in the woods, like I mentioned before, was was something used in the marketing on the posters, and Caleb going into the woods, kind of looking for the witch and look and hunting and and actually getting you know some animals for the family don't change and rabbits, everything's man. going well he's got a whole bunch there uh and then of course the dog runs away after the devil bunny which the wit, wit, wit i mean the witch is shape-shifting into those three animals the the crow the the devil bunny and i don't, I, I don't know if the the goat or the devil goat or whatever but just terrifying stuff. Well, I, they, I took it. I, I didn't take it as the witch was shape shifting into Black Philip. I took it as Black Philip is like a, a messenger of Satan. Yeah, Black Philip might like have been Black the Philip's devil. there regardless. But the witch had the crow and the rabbit, yeah. which is yeah. apparently every time you see them, uh, you gotta shoot yourself in the face with an old timey gun. Knowing that we were doing something with Easter related segments, and when I saw a rabbit played a major role in this movie, I got giddy, and that's what spurred on the Monty <laughs> Python thing. <laughs> I, the way your brain works is, uh, <laughs> is fascinating. Breastfeeding crow. And then I high five. <laughs> Fire lit Anya Taylor-Joy in the corner of their hovel. Cross cut with the family to show, you know, how separated they all are. But to sh- that was unbelievable, I thought. I, it just visually stunning stuff. Well, they Again, do that. They-, they do those games, too, with when Caleb's going through his exorcism. And Anya yeah. Taylor-Joy is clearly separated from both the twins and the mother-father. I mean, she joins them in prayer at first to kind of prove, look, I'm not a witch. I'm praying with you. But the way the camera is set up afterwards, it's so distinct that you have the mother and father in one shot, you have the twins in one shot, and then when it pans back to ATJ, she's all alone. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's deliberate. Mm-hmm. It's just it, she's isolated and he's showing that distinction with the visual language. So, uh, yeah, loved it. We can move on to a bunny for your sins that I titled because <laughs> you had the brilliant. You had the brilliant uh, segment here about the totally unrelated, relatable, related animal, the totally unrelated, related animal, because why a bunny for Easter? Nobody knows why a goat for a witch movie. Who cares? We we talk about the impact of the random animal in a given in the given movie and what the meaning behind it is and could be, Michael. I didn't find a lot for goat related. I mean, I understand horn plays this like idyllic and and religious connotation sometimes, but a horn attached to an, a ram actually. I know there's white rams in, in religious connotation and religious uh mm-hmm. pictures at like the gates of heaven in some paintings and whatnot, but uh, as far as a black goat being introduced in paganism i couldn't find much did you find anything so i found like robert edgars mentioned the goya painting which is sabbath which is uh basically a devil goat getting mm-hmm. fed a baby or getting handed a baby for sacrifice or whatever okay well there you go so that's kind of that <laughs> he took that and put it in the movie did they take black philip with them from the community they must have 
Yeah. So there's, of course, Pan in the Greek mythology, Baphomet of the Middle Ages. These are goat demon gods. Mm -hmm. So that's also there from where they come from. But like the artwork of the time is where Eggers said, you know, he found the uh, the the goat uh, inspiration. But none of the primary sources that he researched from New England had goats involved really at all. The, a couple a couple instances people uh, thought goats could be possessed, I guess, but not really. So basically, Black Philip is kind of more deep in the mythology. But it was played by Charlie the Goat, who was a apparently impossible on set, just a total huge jerk, according to everybody. Fucking divas, I tell you, man, they're all over <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, otherwise, you know, I have, uh, I have a- <laughs> him stabbing the William wasn't in the script. He was just tired by that point. <laughs> He's just tired. Enough is enough. You're going down, Ralph Ineson. <laughs> just fell back into a bunch of lot. Like he chopped too much wood. That was another. That, I guess that's his workout. But that pile of wood was as big as the house. Yeah, it was. So of course it was going to fall on him at some point. Like how do you even get shit up there? If you keep throwing it like a Jenga tower, it's going to collapse on you one day. And that's all it was. That the goat was tired of not having sleep because of Ralph Innocent's woodwork. You know, <laughs> exactly what happened. Uh, if you're taking this movie in a non-literal way and you disbelieve all the witchery, then that's that's what happened. The go- he was he was messing with the goat. He was cruel to the goat. That goat gave goat Robert Eggers his ending. This was a movie without an ending prior to that happening on set. Yeah. Uh, the the goat Black Phillip became a Twitter handle in its own right, going into the marketing of the movie. Then it has become the biggest takeaway of the mm-hmm. witch, it be beyond Anya Taylor Joy. I would say even Black Phillip is going to be a Halloween accessory forever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know how easy is that costume to pull off too? Just find Puritan dress and then put a black sweatshirt over your dog or your cat there you go get him some horns he's also a visually striking beast my of god course, he's huge of course he's, he's giant scary. giant ram and that's why i brought up like did they so did they transport so the devil was in that community and maybe the devil was just pissed off that the well first of all do we know why they're being excommunicated from the church is that ever explained to us no it, the father just seems to be in a pissing contest over the dogma <laughs> You know, it's just like he's he's saying you're false Christians and he's saying uh, I'll go live on my own because I can't live with you anymore. And it's just like this, this, you know, ego. Jousting. So I wonder if the seven deadly sins manifested the devil within Black Philip, or if Black Philip was always the messenger for Satan front while he was in the community, too. He just didn't do anything. I mean, it's a nothing question. It's a it's a you know, it's a meta question. Well, I mean, it's it's Robert Eggers purposely putting, you know, an animal that you took from the community and brought to the again you know all these forces all this quote-unquote spiritual warfare is something that the church the people of this church believe to be true Mm. so putting forces within evil forces within and without ascribing them to the animals you have to run your farm instead of to all the the horrible crap you do to one another as people interacting and to ascribe it to a witch in the woods and a goat devil goat in your keep. You know, again, it, it's it, the horror of the story is of what if people actually believe this shit? They did. Oh, my God. History. We got to get Robert Eggers on because I got to pick his brain about it. He's not doing anything in the next couple of weeks, is he? He can't be busy. Can't be busy. So, yeah, yeah we'll have to get him. 
<laughs> test my <laughs> hypothesis. Well, Again, I would, I would I'm love. Just, I mean, uh, it makes too much sense. The more you, we yeah. I, we talk about it, and, and I think about it, that you have to be. If you're not exactly right, you got to be onto something here. Well, I was getting mad at all the YouTube videos. All the YouTube videos were diving into all the mythology. I was like, I think he's just talking about dogma versus mythology, and mm. those are the two for- conflicting forces in the story. It's like, the, I'm all right. I'll make the mythology real, and I'll get very literal about the dogma. You know, seven deadly sins will work to 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 As you know cast job. my cast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what again, it's a very focused story. Which is why it probably works so next, well. We gotta we gotta do dope. mommy dearest next, and I gotta hear your thoughts about how that's about like the stock market crash of nineteen eighty seven. <laughs> I am, I should be on a documentary, uh, the next documentary, Room Two Thirty Seven Part Two. Uh, I should be on that one. I want to. I want to. You couldn't just call it two thirty eight. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not good at the titles. You do all our titles. It's my contribution. You do the deep thinking philosophical stuff. I'll come up with the puns. I can't believe this one got so philosophical, but I guess it did. I guess it has to. What is going to be the lighthouse? Like the lighthouse is it just a metaphor for our podcast? Maybe we go that way. It's just you and me, you know, farting in the same room together and. What's lobster a metaphor? Eventually, for? when one of us has sex with a mermaid, <laughs> the mermaid kind of comes between us. <laughs> Mike, that's just a that's just a pound of salmon you bought at Stop and Shop. <laughs> and we have a guest coming on for the third episode. <laughs> yes. How yes. dare we? How dare we invite somebody into this n- nightmare nonsense of mayhem? Uh, well, that's what the Oscars off season usually is for us. Uh, it's our it's our time to ramp up, unwind, and rewind ourselves all over again. But that was uh, Robert Eggers' first movie. The uh, I almost called it the Lighthouse. Jesus, no, this is the Witch, the Vitch, double V Witch. We just finished for you. And as always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything having to do with this movie. Have you seen it? Did you watch it recently? Have you watched it multiple times? And do you have different takes on it? Uh, do you agree with Mike's hypothesis here about what the underlying co- subtext is? Leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns about anything you have on what we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us all of that on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us currently on either the Apple podcast or Spotify app, if you would be so kind, if you appreciate what we do to leave us a five-star review, we, uh, we truly cannot thank you enough for doing so. Michael, We've kind of teased what's coming next, but tell the good people what's coming next from MMO, and let's have some words of wisdom to get out of here on. Well, it's wise to have a happy Easter with your families yeah. and treat them civilly. <laughs> and don't think... To, I'm going to bore my father. <laughs> don't take things too literally, please, all of you, all of us, all of me. We, uh, <laughs> we have to. We have to have a happy Easter and uh, eat a lot of Reese's uh, eggs, which is my favorite. Do you, do you like candy corn or peeps, or do you hate candy corn or peeps? I have a woman in my life who d- doesn't dislike peeps, mm. but has like a crusade, fiery disdain, like a Romeo Montague, Montague, Capulet Montague type hatred for the existence of peeps. Really? That's kind of tainted my view on them. Yes. So, so wow. I eat them so out just a- to, to kind of prod her and make fun of her, but no, I don't That's enjoy funny. them. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, because I'm not a huge fan. But again, like one peep once a year is not the worst thing in the world. But I, they're too, I, they're too much. They're, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not particularly a fan, to be honest. Pure sugar. But I almost had. You know, we almost uh, put some segments about candy corn and peeps, but we stayed away from it. So if you if you do enjoy your candy corn and peeps, what's coming next from us? If I can get to the point here, is that we have. The Lighthouse and the Northmen in the Easter Eggers series, so stay tuned for those. And uh, it's also wise to go back in our CV and, you know, enjoy our horror movie coverage. We, we have dove into this genre many times before, Michael. We've done, you know, huge episodes on Jordan Peele's films, Ari Aster's films, two-parters in many cases that kind of, you know, we, we just can't avoid we'll probably do that with nope coming out as well and we've done mini series on the conjuring universe on the halloweens uh what else am i forgetting on the joker character study which is horror adjacent in many ways uh the scaries has been our annual horror movie award show yeah. i just put a playlist up on those what do we do we besides talk, what did we do this know. halloween it was a double feature of antlers and what i can't remember oh we did antlers and lamb with swell lamb, that's right that's right yeah there you go down the, or Caught in hell with swell, or I think something. It was what the hell with swell? <laughs> yeah. That was pretty fun. So yeah, we got uh, year in preview series stuff still to come, and our year in preview series is of course our way too early Oscars um, preview for next year's Oscars, the ninety fifth. We just did a three part, uh, which was supposed to be a two parts uh, episode, which series. started as a one part. But yeah, we're laying out all the possible prestige pictures from all the studios. And that's why it turned into three part, because there could be a lot of players from now that we have a billion studios in the works here. Yeah, including Robert Eggers. And we're going to do another special, I think. And then we're going to get down to it and make our picks the 100 percent accurate like they that's are right. every year. 100 percent accurate picks that we'll probably do by the end of the month so we're we're ramping up to that to conclude our year in preview series which you didn't want to conclude by the way you just wanted to keep it going throughout the year but i guess that's kind of what our show is anyway we just one time i mean there's going to be a year in which we have a year in preview series that spans 365 days and we will end it on oscar sunday morning year in previews <laughs> yeah it's basically <laughs> what we do like it, it is what we do we review the oscar movies we review every you know we, we basically preview the review mm. year round mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but now we're previewing the preview and then we're gonna you know review the previews when we talk about trailers mm-hmm. and we top it off with a peep perfect (laughs) guys when reality sucks you can come get ready for Egger's new movie with us we are Mike Mike and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness we will see you all very soon see ya